Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 324-2021, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll begin. Father, thank you for this hour, this time that we have this evening. We we thank you for life, health, and strength, and, and we're grateful that we are here and able to fellowship together around your word. Father, we pray for Dave tonight, who is on the side of the road right now. We pray for his safety. We pray for the circumstances, the car uh, that he is driving, and, uh, you know, that things will work out so that he is safe tonight. And so, Father, also, we want to continue to pray for uh, those uh, who are affected by this pandemic, those who have lost loved ones. Uh, we pray for the, uh, the workers as well, those who are on the front lines. So give us wisdom as we approach your word tonight. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so as, as you all know, Amen. we are studying in the book of Romans, chapter 9. And we're going to, two verses are ahead of us, verses 9, 4, and 5. Whether we get to both of those tonight, we will see. But uh, we got something ahead of us. One thing for sure is we ought to know from these verses already in 9 what the subject is. It's about Israel. <laughs> no doubt about it. And we will have more of that tonight. So um, we, we will get there when we can, but we will pause for a minute to see if there are any uh, questions or ideas out there, thoughts, uh, revelations, illumination, the floor is open. Well, um, if, if someone has a, uh, I have, uh, I don't know, a, a, a question or something I'd like you to illuminate on. Uh, and um, <clears throat> it's found in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And uh, question specifically, I'm sure that you guys in the past have gone over this, but the question has to do with the Nephilim. Uh, Genesis 6, 4 says, and the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, there were heroes of old, men of renown. Um, 6.2 also states that the sons of God saw the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Scripture goes on to say, my spirit, uh, the Lord said, my spirit will not always contend with humans forever, for they are mortal, their days will be 120 years. So my question uh, evolves around the Nephilim, Jeffrey, and I have, I know that I reread the commentaries. I know that there are many different theories. Uh, some say that the Seth's uh, spirit and the spirit of Seth and Cain, these are the descendants of them and the intermingle. There's many, many they, some say they were angels. There's a lot of different thoughts on this. So I just want to know, Pastor, what you thought. Oh, okay. Uh, so, yeah, this is um, one of those controversial scriptures that a lot of people like to play around with. But uh, we do need some understanding about what's going on here. So let's see if we can address it. Uh, I would say there are two... Uh, major interpretations from these this passage. Now, now there are more, but the two that I'm going to uh, address are the major ones. And I'll try to quickly go through it, but 
So, verse, so we're going to just jump in. So verse 2, the sons of God saw that the daughters of, of, human, of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. So this married uh, mean, is a little bit euphemistic, meaning they just sort of language that they didn't just come right out and say. But when they married them, they, what they're saying is they had relations with them. So now, okay, so who, who are the sons of God? So that term, sons of God, is B'nai Ha-Elohim. And it means, literally, it's translated sons of God. But when you look in the scriptures in the Old Testament, that term is used to refer to angels. Angels are called B'nai Ha-Elohim here. Now, of course, if you enter into the New Testament, we get uh, lots of references to sons of God <laughs> for us, right? There's no doubt about that. But uh, we can't use New Testament language here because uh, it's not referring to us. It's referring to whatever happened in the Old Testament. So every time we look at that phrase, it only, we only see it uh, referring to angels. So that's what I believe, that sons of God are angels. Now, they are not uh, elect angels. We know there are two types of angels, elect and fallen. Fallen angels sided with Satan in his rebellion, and uh, so that's why they're fallen. Elect angels sided with God, and, and, and that is why they are elect. So why, just to visit the other interpretation... They say that the sons of God um, are the line, the godly line of Seth, who, who in intermingled with the daughters of humans, which was the uh, ungodly line of Cain. So, and, and as a result of their union, they had these Nephilim born. Okay, so... First of all, why do I not think that this is the godly line of Seth uh, intermingling with the daughters of human beings who are the line of Cain? Why do I think that that's not the case? First, it doesn't say that. That's the first thing. And second, the, it, um, what, why would um, you know the godly line of Seth and the daughters of Cain produce Nephilim? There's no reason why it should. Uh, they should produce Nephilim. We'll get to what Nephilim is in a minute. But that doesn't make sense. So first of all, we're all born dead from, you know, because of what Adam did. So there is no godly line of people. There's people who believe in God, but everybody's born dead. And every child that is born is born dead. So uh, this whole godly line, you know, uh, ungodly line thing, I, 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 don't, I don't agree with. It doesn't agree with um, original sin and what happened with Adam and the bad news. Okay, so then let's see what else. So, so my understanding is this is re a reference to angels who cohabitated with human beings, daughters of men, right, as it is. So now you might say, well, how can that be? Right? Uh, this is, wow, I, I can't imagine. Well, we'll get to that later, but uh, when we're dealing with the Bible, we would see things that are outside of the realm of human possibility because we're not only dealing with human beings, we're dealing with angels as well. And what are angels' capabilities? Nobody can truly tell us. We do have some information, but we don't have the full knowledge of what angels can and cannot do. So let, let's just leave that to just a little later. Okay, so, so 6.3 says, Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days are, uh, will be 120 years. So what we know from here, if we're tracking time, is that there was 120 years before the flood at this point. So now, 
this reference and 6.3 is a reference to judgment and the judgment of the flood. Now you would think then that the flood must have had something to do because verse 3 is couched between verses 2 and 4. I mean, just to say, oh, well, let me see, the spirit will not contend with humans forever. They're going to be, they're going to be judged. 120 years. So I think the flood, the judgment of the flood has something to do with this. Verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. Now, the Nephilim, if you look at the translation of Nephilim, it means giants. And uh, so whatever happened in this union between these angels and man, they produced Nephilim, which were giants. Now, uh, there is some uh, discrepancy. I would say discrepancy, but people have said, ah, oh, see, it doesn't mean that because cause if you read later in the exit, you know, I think it's in Exodus somewhere, it says there were Nephilim on the earth in those days, right? Now, this is after the flood, during the time of Moses and so forth, you know. So you, and and they were going to conquer some people and then they said these people were like Nephilim. They were they were well, what they were saying. They were use they were using the literal term of the translation, which means giants. So it's like Israel was small, and the people that they had to go fight were huge. And it says that there were Nephilim on the earth in those days. Now it doesn't mean that these were um, angels, you know, who had cohabitate who you know the result of angels and and men and women. It means that there were giants. And Nephilim here describes giants as well in Genesis 6-4. So giants is consistent with the translation. But the difference is that in after the flood and uh, the reconstruction with Noah's family, and then we get to Israel, then they were just giants. So Israel was small. They were small in the eyes of who they had to fight, sort of like Goliath, right? So then, so Nephilim, that's what it means, and that's why people will say, oh, no, 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 you can't use Nephilim because there was also Nephilim after the flood. No, there was just giants. So now what these men were, it says that they were men of renown. In other words, these men were uh, famous, notable. They had some notoriety about them in the times in which they lived. They were sort of like legends in their own time. So who knows what the capabilities of these people were? It's hard to say. They were a mixture of the Beneha Elohim and the daughters of human beings. So what happened as a result of this? God brought the flood. That's what it says in Genesis 6.3. And then 6.5, we get right back to it. The Lord saw how, how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on earth. His heart was deeply troubled. So when the Lord repents, uh, this is anthropopathism, to say that the Lord is going to bring judgment. On the earth, and that's what we're talking about here with the flood. How did the human race get so corrupt? It's because Satan had a plan to corrupt the human race. He figured, uh, he heard, if you go back in Genesis, that salvation would come, redemption would come to man through the seed of the woman. Now, Satan didn't know when that would happen. He just knew that it was going to come through the seed of the woman. So what does he have here in Genesis 6-2? He has the Beneha Elohim taking these daughters of men, these human women, and trying to corrupt the seed of the woman so that what God had promised could not come to pass. Through and We know who the seed of the woman is. It's Jesus Christ, uh, who is the Savior of the world. So in any case... Other thoughts here are that Second Peter has in, has information about this this as well. If we were to uh, venture into there, we won't, you know, 
looks like we're going to run in, out of time here. But let's see. I think it's First Peter, First Peter, chapter three. Let's go there. Peter speaks about this. So it doesn't say anything else in Genesis about this Nephilim or uh, what happened there. But in 1 Peter 3, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring, us, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. Okay. Okay, so now we have imprisoned spirits. So Christ, this is a reference to Christ after he died on the cross, right? He was put to death in the body. That's what it's a reference to, his physical death, verse 18. But he was made alive in the spirit, right? So now after Christ died, even though his body was in the ground or, or in the tomb, his spirit was alive and what where did he go because you know you know he didn't have a body at this point but he was alive in the spirit and being in verse 19 and being made alive he went and made a proclamation to the imprisoned spirits who are these imprisoned spirits spirits are angels by the way uh in in this context uh, and then verse 20 gives us more information about them. To those who are disobedient long ago, when God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. So now we got to zero in on the time period of where these people are, or these spirits. Who, what, what about these spirits? And why are they imprisoned? Why can't Satan have access to these uh, these imprisoned spirits. Well, how come they're in prison? What's this about? Well, it tells us in verse 20, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Well, remember, while the ark was being built, God told Noah it would be 120 years. What do you think Noah was doing during that time? He was building the ark. Okay, that's what that's how it worked. Noah was was being obedient to the vision of God, what God told them. That, and it says only eight people in all were saved through the water. So, so when you think about that whole thing, what happened to Abraham, it, but anyway, we could talk about Abraham, Noah. Did I say Abraham twice? I might have. It's really Noah who built the ark. Any, in any case, so this gives us some other information about uh, these imprisoned spirits, why are they there? Is the question. I mean, we have more, a lot more questions than we have answers, but listen, we have a lot of answers. So then you can go to Jude as well. There's another verse in Jude. I'm going to turn to Jude. Uh, and we can talk about this more, but I'm going to give you a quick outline of why I take the position I've taken. Okay. So um, here, if you go back, um, and look at judgment. This is all about judgment. So I'm going to start at verse 4. For certain individuals, Jude 1-4, whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt and was later destroyed uh, Destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for the judgment on the great day. So now he's talking about these angels well, he's talking about these angels from the standpoint of apostasy. Uh, these angels in the light of what happened with the people of Egypt. And then he continues on, if you keep going, in a similar way. Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to, a sexual, to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who, should, who would suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So notice, these angels now are being held 
uh, again, in chains. They abandon them. What did they do? They abandoned their proper dwelling. Now, when it says that, uh, remember studying this, and it means they left their own kind. Okay, they they departed from their their own kind, their own home, where, where in other words, their own species. So, if you look at the the Greek words here, that's what you come to. But abandon their but this is the translation. Abandon their proper dwelling. Let's look at the King James. See what the King James says about Jude one six, real quick. Um, who who this is? Yeah, he has. It's yeah. Here it is. Uh, who did not keep their first estate, but left their own habitation. Right. So this is to say, this is these angels who went after human beings, these women, and they took them. So now it says he hath reserved everlasting chains under darkness unto the day of the great day. So these angels, whatever they did in Genesis, God took them off the playing field. They can't. God restricted not only this behavior going forward, but those who were involved in this behavior, these angels, Satan has no use to them. Now, he is over all of the evil angels or the fallen angels. Satan is their leader. Satan has no authority over these angels. What's going to happen? Whatever these angels did, first they sided with Satan. That's one. And then two, they committed this act which sent them into hell to be held in chains of darkness and it says unto the judgment so there is the only time they come out these angels is on judgment day that's it judgment day then they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire so that is a broad overview of why i see this happening somebody says well oh, this can't happen uh angels can't cohabitate with human beings how do you know that where did you get that from how do you know what angels can do where does it say? That? Well, I'm reading the Bible, and it seems to say that angels who did not keep their first estate left their own habitation. What does uh, Dwight's ESV say on that verse? Who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. They, they side with the NIV. But uh, I don't know. Oh, Weist, Weist, let's see what Weist says about it. Uh, da, 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 let's see. Yeah. They. He, so, <coughs> Yes. Once for all. Yeah, I just want to make a note that the the uh, Strong's Dictionary for the Bible um, is, is actually in the field, and it says properly a feller that is a bully or tyrant. And to me, that seems to make more sense than a physical giant, just somebody who is larger in stature. Uh, so it sounds like whatever was the Nephilim were doing, it sounds like they were taking over. Yeah, it was. And, and that's why it's mixed in with the language about, you know, the, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. So it's all about the wickedness that's going on. Yeah, so I'm looking up that word. Uh, yeah, it says a bully, a tyrant, but it also says giant. So giant is there as well. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I see that, but I'm considering the other definition, the other the, uh, the reference to be a bully or a tyrant. Yeah, and I think I and think like, all yeah. of them can be used. Yeah, all of them are appropriate. Yeah, but um, when you get to the on the other side of it, after the flood in, in Israel, uh, these people are not the same as the Nephilim, but they do have the same characteristics that we see here. So, But the difference is that those people are not the product of uh, the Beneha Elohim and the daughters of men, as it was in Genesis 6, which prompted God to bring judgment and the flood, and uh, those angels who were involved in that were locked up in chains uh, of darkness. So... Yeah, but to your point, you're right. It does say uh, in strong, uh, it gives that, yeah. Yeah, so that is that is my thought. Dwight, did you have other thoughts that you wanted to bring? 
Yeah, I just wanted to quick mention I had never seen that pulled together with the other scriptures in First Peter three and, and Jude. So thank you very much for that. Okay. Sorry, sorry. sorry. So, you know, so, 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 go ahead, Bill. I was going to say, uh, um, the fact that when these uh, fallen angels had cohabited with uh, the daughters of men, you know, they created uh, something on the earth that was that was uh, destructive. And that's why God had said that their members should be 120. Uh, and and the ones that did this, he casted them into a place where they can no longer do that again after this thing. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, just you know, consider the two main uh, verses, not verses, but, you know, opinions about that scripture, especially the one about Seth and uh, Cain. You have to throw that out. <laughs> you have to throw that out. I mean, the Bible was clear about what was going on. Yeah. Just yeah. from all, all the scriptures we pulled together. I mean, and, and, and right after um, those verses, they yeah. even brought up, it talked about men's years should be numbered. Why would God give man's years a number unless he's about to destroy because of what happened? Absolutely. And and then there's also, if you look at uh, Jude, where we looked at 1.6, if you look at 1.7, it says, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example to those of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So now think about what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah. God judged Sodom and Gomorrah severely. Right. And why? Because, uh, remember, Abraham uh, had, remember it was Lot and those uh, two angels. Those two angels who were uh, manifesting as men there. And they went with uh, Lot into Sodom. And uh, remember what the men outside wanted. And you know, the, the interesting thing was, Lot said they wanted to have relations with those angels. The men of Sodom wanted to have relations with those angels. And uh, Lot said, don't do this thing. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you my daughters. I got some daughters here. Have them. But don't, please don't do this thing. Uh, the, and God had to judge them in order to get them out of there. Because the, this was, again, uh, prompted by Satan, evil, perversion, and God judged the cities of Sodom. He had to first blind those men so that they could get out of there. Because those men, they, this was that perversion. And here you have men going after angels, and then Genesis you have angels going after women. Uh, just perversion. And God says, no, no, I'm going to judge that. And he judged it severely as well so anyhow those are those are my thoughts but fred you you can follow up what are your thoughts well uh, they, they, uh, uh thank you i think that that tied it up very neatly but the two things that really tied up for me and make it very clear is the seed of the woman and satan's plan to interrupt and stop the lord jesus christ from going to the cross this was very this this was a this was big, and this, the other point is the sons of God, uh, men uh, from Adam, had fallen, and you know none of them they they weren't called sons of God, right? And you pointed out that it only you know the New Testament the church there are many references to son of God. But mm -hmm. then there were no sons of God because man had fallen because of Adam's original sin. So I thought those were significant. Uh, I saw something in Job chapter 1-6 that said, uh, it referred to angels. There was a, a meeting in heaven and the angels, this is before they questioned Job and the Lord presented Job. 
that the angels with Satan were running to and fro about the earth. So they were running back and forth looking to do their evil. Right. And so they had full control uh, to perpetuate all types of evil on man, mankind. And they obviously, this was one of the evils that God judged with his overruling will because this was going to interfere with the plan of God directly. He had to check it, and he did. Just like Sodom and Gomorrah, it checked it and wiped it out. So it had no opportunity to exist anymore. And that was it. Yeah. So, so, by the way, thank you. By the way, thank you for, for mentioning, uh, taking us back to the seed of the woman, and as well as Job 1 6. Guess what Job 1 6 says? When the sons of God came to present themselves, the NIV knew that was angels, so they just translated it angels. But the actual uh, Hebrew is B'nai Ha-Elohim, just like we said. That's who, that's what you find in Job 1.6, B'nai Ha-Elohim. So, um, it's quite interesting. I think it's, to me, I'm persuaded that that is what it means. According, I think the word of God has given us enough evidence to to put our faith in that. But you know what? I'm open to hear other people's uh, view, and uh, but uh, this is where, where I'm, what I'm persuaded to believe. All right, let's continue. Let's continue on. Uh, I think we got a few minutes. Let's talk some Romans. Uh, Romans chapter nine. I, we don't. We won't get done, but that's fine. We can always pick up next week where we leave off. So you should have some notes. Excuse me. So let's um, take a look at those notes. Uh, Romans chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. It reads, The people of Israel, which comes from the previous verse, of course, where it talks about, For I wish I, could, I myself could be cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, and then 9.4, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs, the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. So while we can talk about Israel in negative ways, and we should always remember, Israel was created by God. We know the history, and God demonstrated through Israel that he has something to say to mankind. God designed a plan to reach the world with the knowledge of salvation and to reveal his character. His plan was to reach all the nations through one nation, a model nation, which revealed his character and plan, the nation Israel. That nation is Israel. While God has suspended that plan to accomplish his plan for the church, we can be sure that Israel will then resume their role and continue with the original plan, as we read in Romans eleven twenty-five through 29. Israel has a special calling before God and a heritage of its own. They also have great responsibility as God's nation that no other nation, uh, that other nations do not have. A special calling carries with it a special responsibility. In the tribulation, Israel will rise to accept their true calling and fulfill all that God has said would be true of them. They may have failed and failed miserably, but God will eventually restore them to glory. Quote, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. That's Romans eleven twenty nine. So what we find is, uh, we got quite a few verses here, or well, two verses, but there's a lot. But what we're seeing is Israel. My thought is not to go into great detail. I mean, the whole of the Old Testament deals with Israel. All of it. 
mean, I mean, what well, we got some pre-Israel uh, with some of the patriarchs and such, and then we have uh, some of the uh, those who were pre-flood and so forth. But and and Noah and his sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But uh, for the most part, the whole Old Testament is given to us through Israel. I mean, Genesis is given to us through uh, the Mosaic Law. So we find out in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We have all of that from the Old Testament through Israel, the revelation. But uh, our understanding is that God has suspended the plan of Israel and now he is calling out those many sons into glory after which time he, he will resume working with Israel and finish uh, what, they, what he started in them. So we, we should know that God is the one who started Israel. It, it's not a few people who got together and said, hey, let's, let's form a nation, let's do this. No, it was God who created the nation and has a purpose in doing what he has done. So let's try to dig in. Uh, to this is point number one the people of Israel theirs is the adoption to sonship theirs is the divine glory and the covenants the receiving of the law and uh, the temple worship and the promises so the first thought is the people of Israel if anybody should understand the moving of God <laughs> it is this people and I'm going to go to Romans 11 13 and 14 for that uh just to round out that thought, Romans 11, 13 and 14 says, I am talking to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry, in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. So, and it, it goes on, this whole Romans 11, listen, we're, we're not out of Israel, we weren't out of it in chapter 8, or in uh, 7, even some we had some Israel, but so 8, 9, 10, 11, I mean, they're all going to be heavy laden with Israel. But remember, the thought was, if we can understand what God has brought through Israel, as far as the gospel and the reasoning from the, the scriptures, then as Gentiles, we can certainly uh, understand what God's thinking is because we are understanding the plan of God and all of its component parts even uh, down to the floor he started with Genesis and up through Israel and now we're in the church so Israel had they had a lot in terms of miraculous signs and wonders you got to remember Israel was uh, they were slaves in Egypt, and we're, we're talking about the uh, the plagues that uh, God used to free Israel from the most powerful country in the world. This is not this is not something uh, that went unnoticed by the rest of the world. So we're talking about over six million men, but that's not talking about women and children and their animals and their possessions and. Uh, this is a major undertaking, and God did it. He freed Israel, I mean, it, through power. A Pharaoh was powerful in the world at that time, but not as powerful as God. God made an example and used Pharaoh. And not only that, there were uh, Israel was marked with signs, wonders, and miracles throughout their journey in the wilderness, and uh, it, it one one miracle after another. I mean, every day there was something that Israel knew that God was attending them. So we'll get to some of this. Um, so, you know, but if anybody should know who God is and how God works through miraculous signs, wonders, and miracles, it would be Israel. You would think Israel would be the very ones. So I can understand how Paul would want to reach out to them and said, look, God is moving here. Follow him. <laughs> you need to recognize that God is the one who is moving. And and if, if they miss out on the church, in Paul's mind, they have missed something phenomenally great. So he wants his people to share in that. But they refused. 
many of them. So, point B, Israel was born miraculously, yet they ignored unprecedented signs, wonders, and miracles, and they crucified uh, their Savior and Christ. That's what they, that's what, how it went down through Israel. And, and in fact, that's what John 1.11 says. Uh, it says that um, he came, Christ, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And that they rejected their, their only Lord, Savior, and Christ. I mean, imagine that. The context that Jesus came in. Uh, he, was, he was one of them. He was from the... He was a lion of the tribe of Judah. He was the son of David. He was, we could go on about all that Christ did and fulfilled in the Old Testament, the prophecies, but none of it mattered because they were stiff-necked, uncircumcised in hearts and ears. They were resisting the Holy Spirit, so they could not see the, the spiritual realities that were before them. So, point C, many of the words establishing Israel are used to establish the church. So we should know that uh, God did not make up new words for the church. He made up, or he came um, with the same words that he used for Israel in many cases here, but uh, he came with a different purpose. The church does not have the same purpose as Israel. And that's one thing we need to come to reality. Israel was all about saving people, the salvation. And I would venture to say, because we have the mystery, and the mystery is termed the deep things of God. Mystery is uh, things that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, uh, and the Spirit reveals the deep things to us. Uh, so what was Israel? If we have this information that's said to be deep, hidden from Israel, I'd say Israel had the milk of the word. Now, even in the milk of the word, there is wisdom, right? We need to just, we can't say the milk of the word just, is just for babies because uh, Israel's objective was not only to preach the gospel to all the nations, which they failed miserably at, but, um, but that information is detailed in and of itself. I mean, they had to understand about the substitution of an animal sacrifice for a life for a life. I mean, there was propitiation. They had to understand that God was satisfied with the work of Christ on their behalf. There was the fact that all the sins would be judged in Christ, and he was the one who was they would uh, come after, and the seed of the woman, and on and on. All these doctrines. And then the sanctuary talked about the holiness of God, why, you know, the bad news, why man can't approach, get back, you can't go into the Holy of Holies, you can't see God because... You know, God is presenting himself as a consuming fire. I could go on with all that the sanctuary services taught us about the salvation plan. It wasn't just, oh, this is just milk. Well, it is milk, but even within the milk, there are details to understand right? and, and to apprehend. So, uh, yeah, it's the same words were used. We were foreknown. We were predestined. We were adopted as to, to sonship, right? We all we were chosen, called, right? elected. All those words that were used of Israel are also used for the church. God didn't use different words; He used a different purpose for for us. So, but what we're going to do is go through. We I don't you know I'm hesitant about going through everything here. I would love for everyone to take some time and go over some of this uh, for yourself. So you can see that God talked about adoption to sonship with reference to Israel. But it, you know we have just come out of Romans chapter 8 where we know what adoption is. It's also uh, in Ephesians 1, 5 and 6 where it talks about uh, he predestined in love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons, right? And, and then in our verse where it says, uh, we who have the first fruits grown inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship. Right? So that's Romans 8.23. So there's a lot that you can understand about the words being used simultaneously, you know, not simultaneously, but uh, 
the same words being used of Israel and the church. But we don't have the same purpose, as I must emphasize again for the third time. So, so that's adoption to sonship. Um, well, I could read a couple of these. Uh, we do have some time. So adoption, I'm going to go to Exodus chapter 4 and verse 22. Let's look at it. So it says, Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. So uh, that, that's the son. Uh, and that's how God looks at this. Or you can go to, what's the other one I have? Hosea. Hosea. Let's look at that one. Uh, 11, is it? Where is it? Uh, no, 111. Hosea 1.11 says the people of Judah and my people and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land. Uh, is this? No, I'm sorry. That's the wrong verse. Yep, no. Yeah, I, did I copy that wrong? They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. That's not... That's, you might have to disregard it. I'll look at what I did. I must have made an error here. Uh, but we will continue. So so Israel was called sons, but not in Hosea 1.11. It doesn't appear. In any case, we're moving on. The divine glory, as manifested by the cloud and the pillar and the Shekinah glory between uh, the cherubim. So we're going right in the verse here. It says, uh, theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory. And so we're looking at the divine glory. Right? Uh, what does that mean? So there was a lot of ways when we think about the divine glory. It was manifested in the cloud and the pillar. So, uh, so they were in the desert, Israel was. So there was... A cloud by day and a pillar of, of, of smoke, like a billowing pillar of fire that followed them by night. So the cloud by day gave them shade, right? The pillar uh, gave them heat. So this was something where, where God was leading Israel so they would know where to go by following the cloud and the pillar. And, and not only that, um, that was a miraculous sign for for that to attend Israel. Imagine, I mean, it, it wouldn't be just like a miracle happened and a few people were amazed. The whole of Israel saw this, right? This was not something that was hidden or that only some people saw. Literally, a cloud followed them around in a pillar by, by night. This was uh, God's attending his people. And then, if you look at, there was... Uh, which I don't know if I put here, but there was uh, when on Mount Sinai, God also manifested. In other words, He showed, you know, this Himself as fire, smoke, and billows, right on top of Mount Sinai. Remember, Moses went to get the law, and Israel beheld all of that. So it wasn't like it was a volcano going on. This was God manifesting uh, on the mountain. So, and then there was also another way the divine glory is seen between the cherubim in the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. And in the most holy place, uh, on the day, of, once a year, God would manifest in the most holy place. Right? This was on the day of atonement or uh, today is spoken of as Yom Kippur. It's one of the most holy days in Israel's uh, uh, economy. And so this, this was a miracle every time. They saw what looked like a pillar of fire just between the cherubim. And it, what people could see it, it was visible. I wanna, this, I'll turn to a couple scriptures. Exodus 16, 10. Hopefully I got the right ones, not like before. Exodus 16, 10 says... Um, Let's make sure. Okay, 16.10 says, While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there the glory of the Lord appeared 
in the cloud. See, this is what we were talking about earlier, about the cloud. They saw this. This was not something... This was miraculous. This is uh, literally uh, a miracle every day. Israel, one thing Israel knew, they knew that they had a supernatural God protecting them, defending them, uh, you know, providing for them. And yet, even with all of that, they still murmured and complained. And, you know, there was, oh, we, in fact, the, the worst thing they said was, why'd you bring us out here to die? We were better off in Egypt as slaves. I mean, God, we understand what happened. There was friction between them and God, but, and Moses as well. So then there's um, 24, Exodus 24, 16 and 17. Let's look at that. Hopefully I got this one right. Exodus 24, 16 through 17. Here. And the glory of the Lord uh, set, oh, well, let's read 15. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it. See, again, that cloud, that same cloud, it covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day, the Lord called Moses from within the cloud to the Israelites. And the glory of the Lord looked like, this is, get this, looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. And Moses entered the cloud and he went up into the mountain. Uh, uh, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So again, we're talking about miracles, right, that happen in uh, Israel. I mean, this is not just for some people to see. This is for all of Israel to see. God manifested. And there's no taking that away. Listen, he did not manifest to some Gentile nation. This did not happen. In fact, when God did manifest to a nation, he wanted to, he didn't manifest to any of the existing nations. He called his own nation. He created his own nation. And then he manifested to them. So this was unique in the history of the world. Nobody ever. So one thing you can't take away from Israel is they knew God was with them. There was nothing they could, that you could convince them otherwise. The tradition of that knowledge uh, was supposed to bring confidence. In many cases, it brought arrogance. How does so Psalm? I'm going to read read uh, Psalm 63 2. Psalm 63 and two says, uh, "Why? Wait a minute. Did I mess this one up too? No." <laughs> Psalm 63, bear with me. Yeah, 63, 2. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. See, so it's interesting. When I went to, I didn't actually see this, uh, you know, but when I went to the, uh, in Orlando, Florida, they have, uh, I don't know if they still have it, but the Holy Land experience. So they had one sh one of the exhibits where they had the sanctuary, and they depicted, you know, what the priest did when he went into the most holy place. And I have to say, I knew this wasn't nothing but theater, but knowing what I know from the Bible, this really moved me. I have to say, and they had the priest, and they killed the lamb, and, and all of this was depicted, you know, and. And they had the sanctuary there, and they were explaining what they were doing. And when he went into that holy place, and they they had the lights, and you couldn't actually see, but you could see the the lights flashing up from from the whole from the cherubim. You could see shadows of the light. It was just amazing the way they did it. It was just amazing. And to imagine all the people in the camp could gather around, and this was the most solemn time because not only uh, is it just them, the priest going in and this happening? But it was a solemn day because they wanted their sins in the sanctuary to be cleansed. This was a very solemn day for Israel. So in, in any case, I thought that was really, really something, the way they did that. I was moved by that. Um, but uh, this is not to say, uh, can you imagine what was happening for the Israelites? I mean, if I was moved by what they did, imagine what 
that was happening for them. So, and, and what we have in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 is equivalent to that. However, it's not in the sanctuary. Second uh, Corinthians, you, you know the verse I'm going to, 4, 7. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. See, that's what it is. Uh, I should have read 6 for you. Light shine out of darkness, made us light to shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And now we have this treasure in jars of clay. We don't have to have the, between the cherubim and the holy of holies. We have the temple that God the Holy Spirit has set up in our own hearts. <coughs> so that's where we are. And um, so then we got not only that, theirs is also the divine glory. Theirs is the covenant. So we'll go over the covenants and then we'll close. So the covenants deal with, there's many covenants to Israel. Covenants are agreements, uh, but there are many covenants. So the first one that we have to go look at is Genesis 12, 1 through 3. I'll look at that, which I should read for sure. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord hath said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples of the earth will be uh, blessed through you. I hear some background noise. I'm going to ask uh, if you could put your phone on mute. Um, thanks. So, the... Um, so what we have in, in these verses is a promise. to the, And Abraham is what we would call a patriarch. And we're going to get to the patriarchs because it, it calls them out. But Abraham is a patriarch. Uh, and to him, the promise was made. So that's one of the things. Uh, that's a covenant that God was making an agreement with Abraham, what he would do. And Abraham followed. And then Genesis also 15, 18 through 21. Let's look at that real quick. Genesis 15, 18 through 21 says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, Kenzizites, Kadamites, Hittites, Pezzarites, and Israel had to conquer Amorites, Canaanites, and all the different ites that we see there. <laughs> you know I'm going to mess these up, so no, don't worry about it. You can read them for yourself. And I'm sure you have the perfect pronunciation here. Anyway, so then there's other covenants that Deuteronomy uh, 29 uh, 29. So why are we looking at all these covenants? Because they're in the context here. 29.1. These are the terms of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites in Moab. In addition to the covenant he made with them at Horeb. So, so notice there were many covenants, right? It wasn't just one covenant. There was many covenants that God made with Israel. And you, you see signs of it throughout the Old Testament, through, especially through uh, the Pentateuch which is the first five books of uh, the Bible. So um, Deuteronomy 29.1 and 2 Corinthians 3.6, I'll pair it with that on the New Testament side, because even when we get to covenants, right, we're not just under a new covenant, covenant now, but we are under the new covenant because Jesus came. He did pay for the sins of the world. He ratified them. and But, but right after that, God changed his program to new dispensation for the church. What about Israel? What, what's up with them? Well, uh, they were unbelieving. They rejected uh, Christ. And so uh, God put them on hold. And Israel will begin again after the rapture of the church. But um, 2 Corinthians 3, 6, 
Now, if you remember when we went over this, we covered this. So it says in 6, he made, he has made us, he's talking about, Paul is talking about him and the other apostles, competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So this competent as ministers of the new covenant. So just to explain this a little bit, yes, we're under a new covenant. Uh, but we're not under the new covenant to Israel. Now, God already ratified this covenant when Christ died on the cross. It became, it was in effect. In other words, what we read in Hebrews 10, it is not, God does not uh, expect the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, but uh, now he is, he's looking at Christ, and Christ says, a body you have prepared for me. Lo, I come in the volume of the book to do your will, O God. So Christ came, as the fulfillment, as the seed of the woman from way back in Genesis. Now, Christ came and he fulfilled all the types, all the shadows uh, that were depicted of him through animal sacrifices and such. And he fulfilled everything. So now um, God has uh, been able to not only uh, promise to take away sins, but he literally judged all of our sins in the person of Christ. So now we, as the church, are under the new, a new, new covenant principles. But, but the Bible doesn't say that the new covenant principles would be for the church because the church is a mystery. So it's not in the Old Testament. So what does the Bible say about the new covenant? It talks about the new covenant to Israel because that's what the Old Testament talks about. So... If you look at Romans eleven twenty five through 27, uh, which we're in Romans, so why not? Romans eleven twenty five. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, right, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number, number of the Gentiles has come in. I always ask this question, has come into what? If a Gentile is saved, where are they coming into? Into the church. If a Jew is saved, where are they coming into? The church. So after this, and in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. A deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And notice verse 27. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So... When is this when God turns away um, godlessness from Jacob? It's not until uh, the, uh, after the church is gone and God begins to build Israel back. Uh, if you go to Revelation chapter 7, he starts sealing 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from that tribe, 12,000 from the other tribe. And he begins to build the nation of Israel back on the earth. And Israel stands and begins to take their place in the battle like they should have previously. But they did not. They failed. But here they will succeed. In the most troubled, time, troubled times there are in the world. So, so yes, just to understand the distinction, we are under New Covenant principles but we are not under the new covenant to Israel. And if you read in Hebrews 8, where it talks about the days are coming when I will establish a new covenant. Notice it says it's still coming if you go to Hebrews 8. And it says at the end of that, then I will not teach any more his neighbor saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. When is that? When Christ is literally here on the earth as well. So Christ comes after the tribulation and uh, he rescues Israel, the 144,000, the nation Israel. And he is their God, and, he, and they are his people. And he will rule on earth. We're going to have to continue. I know we're out of time. But uh, I just wanted to give you some of the understanding of what it means by covenants. And why we have the distinction of, yes, we're under new covenant principles, which I read in Second Corinthians six, but Israel is not the, the the new covenant to Israel is not under 
uh, New Covenant principles yet. Well, first, they are unbelieving as a nation. They are unbelieving. They don't believe Christ came. They rejected him. That still stands. And some have believed. Paul says, I'm an Israelite. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. God didn't cast away. I'm here in the church age. But now Paul is church, which God has called him to a higher, a different calling than Israel. So we're going to have to quit. We'll talk more about this, all of this. And hopefully there are some questions that you have around these these, uh, principles that we're studying. And we could certainly take those up. Uh, I said a mouthful here, probably going too fast. That's what's happening. But we'll talk about their receiving the law and the temple worship and the promises. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. We are privileged to be able to study your plan. And we recognize that all of this, the whole creation and every stage of its development is about your plan to bring many sons into glory. So as we look back at your marvelous works in Israel and and, and how you prepared them to bring Christ into the world and, and to be a priest nation, a holy nation for other nations to, to be able to come to, to the knowledge of Christ. We are awed in the glory. And as Gentile background folks, we may never come to appreciate the glory of Israel and all that they uh, were to God and and what God intended and the purpose he had was glorious. And, and Father, we pray that as we continue to look over these verses that you will give us wisdom so that we can understand our position and that we can see all things from the vantage point that we have. All of these uh, things we ask in the name of Christ and and we ask, continue to ask for Dave, tra- traveling mercies, that he might reach home safely. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.